Welcome to the Sense and Theory Podcast. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory. And today we've got a doozy of an episode for you. It's a veritable clam bucket. It's uh, a humdinger. Uh, oh, there you go. A humdinger. Yeah. That's way better than clam bucket. What am yeah. I thinking? Yeah, we so cool. <laughs> so today, <laughs> uh, like we alluded to at the end of the last episode, we are going to talk about policing in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's a hard subject because there are a lot of things wrong with policing in America. Um we, we've like like we've said before, we've incarcerated more people than anyone else on the planet. Right. Um, you'd think we'd be really good at it by now, but we're not. And people uh, have a really negative attitude towards police. And I think police mm. increasingly have a very negative attitude towards the people they're supposed to be policing for. Yeah. Um, so I think we'll start out the conversation by talking a little bit about how we got here. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it wasn't always like this. No, it wasn't. I, I think where you, where you first start to see, um, kind of people starting to really like mistrust and, and question the police is probably in the late sixties. Um, you know, all the, the protesting and the various movements, black Panther movement, which we talked about a couple episodes ago. Um, you start to see this real, you know, mistrust. Whereas like 10 years before that you had shows on TV, like Adam 12 and dragnet. And it was just accepted that the cops were out there doing the right thing. You sure. Know? And, uh, so it starts to happen there, but really it solidifies, I think in the late eighties. Yeah, I think so. And, I mean, uh, we've got, you know, NWA saying, fuck the police. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was heard round the world. Yeah. Not to mention uh, uh cop killer. Yeah, there you, know, you which go. I, I think I mentioned that a couple episodes too, but yeah, cop killer was out there. Yeah, when when I was five or six years old, I mean, it was all over. You had uh, the it got brought up in the uh, parental advisory hearings they had for CDs back then. Sure. And then it was just plastered on your TV. And not to mention the way that, um, which I, this goes all the way back to the first episode when I mentioned Predator. Uh, but the way late '80s movies like portrayed like this just war on police, like like uh, drug dealers with with. Tech nines and miniguns and just <laughs> mowing down. Like, yeah, RoboCop, <laughs> the war on police, you know, yeah. So. Well, so you remember that game, uh, that arcade game, Narc? Yeah, oh yeah, I Narc. used to love yeah. playing that game, Absolutely. but it was it was bananas. Yeah. I mean, you just went stuck and stuck up drug dealers. They'd open their coats and like kilos of cocaine would fall out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just gun them down and keep moving. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so definitely, I think um, that reflects like an attitude that maybe white America did not have at mm. first. Right. So, yeah. And, and some of the reasons for that, um, you know, maybe that the closer you are to a, to a high crime area, you know, that puts you in, in, in conflict with the police there, right. you know, they're, they're trying to police, uh, we've moved crack into the ghettos and, uh, now crack's a problem, so police crack down on crack, and right. you know now you're a suspect. Yeah, and then, well, and living out in the burbs, you're removed from it. There's a layer of separation. You hear about this stuff, but it's not really rubbed in your face. And that's what makes Rodney King interesting, is because when the Rodney King beating happened, now it got rubbed in all of America's. That's face. right. Hey, and, take a look at this. And prior to Rodney King, like. You know, I think Rod, the Rodney King video was shot with a VHS camcorder, mm-hmm. you know, and that was something that not many folks had back then. I mean, right. we're talking about 91. We didn't all have cell phones. We didn't have cameras. So this was like this random occurrence, like dude just happened to have his camcorder mm-hmm. and and set up and, and got the shot. And, and that shocked America. I don't think most of America had ever seen the police beating the shit out of someone on the side of the street. I think we all just thought 
um, you know, oh, ho-hum, they arrest people and put them in jail and it's all, it's all fine. Whereas yeah. parts of America who had lived in, in, in the ghetto had been seeing this kind of policing for years. Right. And even been talking about it. And, mm-hmm. and the rest of America's just kind of got their fingers in their ears going yeah. ho-hum, ho-hum. But when they were smacked with it, yeah. there was a huge outrage over Well, over there the was a huge outrage. Beating. But I would also say that you also, that's so, we, we right there at Rodney King, we start to see the divide because some people immediately started questioning, uh, you know, why Rodney King got pulled over that night, what his priors were, sure. what happened. There's, there's uh, you know, controversy about some of the tape that was that, well, never shown. Yeah, some, yep. of the, some of the video was edited out when they showed it on the news, you know, that Rodney King was charging the police. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to me, all that stuff, you can throw it out the window because yeah. it doesn't matter if he charged the police or not. They beat the shit out of the man. I mean, I've got uh, uh, Rodney King alleges to have suffered 11 skull fractures, permanent brain damage, broken bones and teeth, kidney failure, emotional and physical trauma, obviously. And he was awarded $3.8 million in damages. So. Yeah, and it, it, it doesn't, I mean, just watching that video, it's, it's not hard to, I mean, no, that's not acceptable. Yeah, there's like, no I don't, justification. I don't did, you know? There's no yeah. justification for that. Like, if you're a police officer, you apply force to, you know, get the suspect compliant. You cuff him, you put him in the car. You don't continue to beat him until right. his, his brains are leaking out of his fucking ears. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Like, that's not what, what police are there for. And I, but I think, I think Rodney King is an interesting place to begin, um, primarily because he was, he was a black guy. It started, yeah. see, it started the conversation about racist policing. Yeah. And, and I think you really have to stop and ask yourself... If that was, you know, if that was a white guy in that car mm-hmm. um, with the same priors and, and charged those officers the same way, would he have gotten such a beating? Yeah. You know, now, I, don't, I, I tell you what, I don't think so. And I think that that bears out through everything that we learned through the L.A. riots and then also what we learned uh, in the O.J. Simpson trial that um, there's no question, I think, and you can you can go online and you'll see. Uh, you know, reports and stuff that they did around that time on the LAPD, some of the things that they, you know, caught like LAPD officers saying like over the radio and stuff. And there's no question that there was just a huge racism problem within the Los Angeles Police Department right. at that time. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sure there's vestiges of it still. And you know today, I mean, well, we, yeah. we've got here in, here in Kentucky, uh, a assistant Louisville police chief has been outed for just the nastiest, foulest text messages. And mm-hmm. uh, I have some of those here. I don't, I don't know if I can even read them out loud, but right. we may get to that later. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, there's no question that um, there, are, there are racist cops out there. Yeah. And, and this is like the worst place to have racism enter the system. Yeah. Um, you know, we're talking, about, we're talking about justice, the people who are the, the arm of the law um, and, and the arbiters of justice, you can't, you can't do that if you're racist. Well, and it, that's true. And I'll tell you what, it, it also bears out into other things. Like any problem that you have with a cop is it's, it's magnified because of the amount of power that you've seated. Them. You know what I'm saying? You have seated them power in exchange for safety. Sure. And so for anything that they do to abuse that power is, is, you know, I mean, at least in my mind, is way worse than just, you know, average John Q. citizen doing it because they have a responsibility based off what they've been given. 
Sure. You and know, in fact, nowadays we've we've ceded them the power to be judge, jury, and execution. Yeah, I mean they have the power of life and death. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so you, of course, you're going to come under more scrutiny. Of course, you're going to be watched more closely. So what's you know. so what's happened from from '91 and and Rodney King to today? I mean, I feel like there's definitely a larger conversation mm-hmm. about racism and policing. Right. Um. You know that conversation hasn't really changed much. Right. In what thirty years? Yeah. Yeah. No, it hasn't. I think what what's happening is you know it actually it happened right there with Rodney. Right. The guy was there with the camera. Well, like you said. Now everybody's got cameras. Everybody's got a camera in their pocket. And in, even now, in the last year or two, now we're putting body cams on all yeah. the cops. So we're seeing every single, well, not, maybe not every single traffic stop just quite yet, but that's where we're heading. Yeah, and you we've know? got cops that are deleting body camera footage, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so we're absolutely. not seeing anywhere yeah. near every It's single. not perfect, but what I'm saying, we're seeing way more than we used to, for Far sure. More. And it's not what tv shows us it's not you know it's it's what actually happens what actually takes place so yeah, in some cases we're live streaming traffic stops to facebook yeah you're yeah, seeing it as yeah, it happens yeah, absolutely so i think what that's done is it's left us with uh basically you've got two competing views man you got you got one half of the population that's still clinging to the fact that that you know cops are you know just good people trying to do the best they can and uh, there's Plenty of plenty of places, plenty of people where that is absolutely true. But then there's also the other view that cops are murdering racist psychopaths who can't wait to kill civilians. That's right. There are plenty of places, plenty of people where that's absolutely true. But do either one of those two views accurately cover the entirety of the situation? Absolutely not. And I think this goes back to talking about about racism. And in a lot of in a lot of ways, the conversation's the same. So you know, you cannot paint all police officers as racist psychopaths because there are some racist psychopath police. Even if you even if you can indict entire departments for right. for institutionalized racism and, and being psychopaths like that does not paint a picture of all of police. Right. And that mentality is is really dangerous because what happens when we when we as a society decide that the people who are entrusted to protect us are racist monster psychopaths. Um, it doesn't leave much room for healing the divide, right? right. Um, you're you're spawning more and more bitterness as time goes on. So police feel like they're getting treated as as racist psychopaths, even if they're not. Mm-hmm. That's got to make it. You know, that's got to put a toll on you. Yeah, absolutely. that's hard to deal with. If yeah. every stop you encounter, um, even if it's just a traffic stop, someone is going to treat you like you're a murderer and a psychopath. Like right. that's a tough thing to deal with. It's not easy. I'm not I'm not taking away any blame on them. Yeah. You know, I'm, well, no, I'm just say, saying that's just how it is. I'd say the flip side of that coin is simply by virtue of the fact that police officers risk their lives, which I appreciate, uh, does not make them beyond reproach. Like, so on the other side, we get this we get this sense that like, well, you know, I don't see you out there police and these guys <laughs> are putting their lives and they're baking on the line every day. And hey, man, don't get me wrong. I, I ain't going to go police. So I, I really appreciate that. At the same time, that doesn't mean I can't criticize you. That That's doesn't right. mean you're beyond critique, and that does not mean you're perfect. That's right. You know, we do that. We, we, some of the jobs that we consider, you know, more honorable or more virtuous, uh, we tend to give, like, huge passes. And it, it just, you, you can't do that. You can't. Ever, you know? You can't. I mean, you make a choice to be a police officer. You take right. the things, you take the downsides with, with the positives. You mm-hmm. know? And ideally, I'd think we want to hire police officers who those things aren't downsides. You know, some yeah. people want an adventurous, they want danger. Um, yeah. 
you know, there's there's people who join the, the, the fire department because they can't wait to run into a burning building and right. save someone. You know, the same goes for police officers. So I don't think we can hold up those things um, as excuses. Right. You know, like you said, it's just it's not fair. Um, you know, and one thing I'd like to say before we get started and kind of move into the, the meat and potatoes, if you will, um, is that things are never as simple as they appear. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about studies today. We're going to talk about stats and figures and facts. Um, Beans is probably going to tear us down. But just keep in mind that there are so many unknowns yeah. um, that none of this stuff is set in stone. Just about every study we looked at had people who were who were attacking the study's methodologies. Right, right. Um, you know, part of that is because data collection is really poor in this area. But yeah. Um, we'll get to that too. Well, so, I think I think in a in a broader sense, it kind of kicks back to last episode on cognitive dissonance, uh, where we said towards the end, uh, the more complex you make something, the simpler it actually gets when you look at it <laughs> in its parts. So you know you can take a really simple position on policing, and you know it's really easy to scream about and get worked up over and get excited about. But chances are, there's somebody who's going to be able to question you and be like, "Well, you're not accounting for this." So the approach we took today is a very complex approach. Um, and, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it holds up. But I think that's the best way to get closer to the truth. Yeah, I know? agree. And I think, you know, one of those truths that, that we're all confronted with all the time, whether you personally experienced it or seen it in the news or on TV, is that there is police corruption. There are abuses of power. Without that, a doubt. Uh, yeah, without a doubt that, that we encounter all the time. Yeah, I mean, I've I've had some some personal experiences. Um, you know, I've mentioned before, back in middle school, we had a dare officer. You know that mm-hmm. that would talk to us about drugs and stuff. And come sixth grade, come to find out, she has raided the evidence locker. You know, to sell cocaine. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So you know, there's there's a clear cut and dry issue. I've also one of my only um experiences with police officers personally. Um, my, my little brother-in-law, uh, was involved in, in gang activity Mm -hmm. and the police had showed up at the house to, to question him about some things that had gone on. And I had just turned 18 and they really, they really manhandled him. They, they came in, whole family was there. You know, my wife was there, her mom, uh, her dad were there, uh, kids, you know, we were all, we're all hanging out, having family dinner. Um, and they just start manhandling him, you know, handcuffing him and stuff to, to ask him questions. And, and at that point, I didn't really know what he was involved with. Not that it really matters, but right. I just, I asked the officer really politely and nicely, like, is this, is this necessary? You know, do you, do you really need to, to rough him up and, and put him in cuffs? I'm like, officer, the whole family's here. He's obviously not going to run. You know, if you just need to ask him some questions, um, you know, is, is this necessary? And he looks yeah. at me and he goes, another word and I'll take you to jail too. And, and I said, don't I have the right to free speech? And he, and he shot me a look. So I held my hands out in front of me, yeah. you know, like, go ahead and put the handcuffs on. And I said, well, if that's what you're going to do, go ahead. And what did he do? Slapped cuffs on me, yeah. put me in the back of the car and that took was, me to jail. That was a bold choice. my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I felt yeah. like, you know, I felt like I at least had the right to ask him. No, and, and, and no, I was just should. asking. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't being belligerent. Uh, I wasn't angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, not even a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, that felt like an abuse of power to me just that's, because he had the power to. That's absolutely abuse of power. And I mean, like if it, I mean, so seriously, that's where we're at. Like a citizen cannot ask you a question or 
for you, like, so what, what's the problem there that you were annoying him? That you were disorderly uh, conduct is the catch all <laughs> charge. It does not matter. Yes. Annoyance of a police officer is yeah. disorderly conduct. Yeah. Um, it really doesn't matter. And oh, and that's 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 ridiculous. So, I mean, so in that case, <clears throat> you've got an officer who's power tripping. And I would call that like, you know, uh, it's a it's an abuse of power. Um, not to minimize, you know, what happened to you. Obviously, you got arrested. You had to deal with the, oh, absolutely. the fallout from that. But, you know, that that would be one of the softer forms of corruption. However, we look at the hard forms of corruption and, and they are rampant as well. You know, we've, we've got a study here that says we're looking at cops uh, like a thousand cops a year getting arrested for various crimes, uh, which comes out to like three per day. And so that's not all like, you know, stuff that's in the line of duty. You know, we're not talking about like necessarily for you know, planning evidence or hiding evidence or stuff. It's just, you know, that's in just general. broad crimes but that police officers commit. Well, what I think that establishes is that like cops are just like everyone else. You know what I'm saying? In like some cases, they're criminals fully capable of committing crimes, that's just right. like anybody off the street. That's right. And I think you're talking about the, the Bowling Green state university study. Correct. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They found that uh, 72% of those arrest cases resulted in convictions. Yeah. which is lower than the conviction rate for citizens. Right, right. Um, and only half of those cases that were convicted resulted in job loss. <laughs> so what you're saying is that half of the, the people, half of the police officers who were convicted of crimes got to keep their jobs. Yeah, yeah. And to me, that's absurd. Like, if you wear the badge, you're, you're saying you're not a criminal. You're policing against the criminals. If we go yeah. ahead and let you keep your job after you've been convicted of a crime, there's something wrong there. I mean, I don't yeah. care if it's DUI. I don't care if it's uh, harassment, mm-hmm. um, you know, just about except maybe some misdemeanor crimes. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not for like I'm not for a completely irrational, unreasonable, high standard, you know. Uh, a police I, officer can never make a mistake. I'm, I, I'm, I am in some no, ways. I, I mean, I feel like with the you know, with the duty comes great responsibility. So yeah. I believe we should have at least a higher standard. No, that, now that I agree with. That's what I'm saying. I do agree that they should have a higher standard. I mean, if if uh, if nothing else, I mean, it, it erodes the power of your office. Like we've seen, you know what I'm saying? It erodes the power of, of police when nobody trusts them, when they think you're just as crooked as everybody else. You That's know? right. Especially but, when when we are. We're charging them with crimes, but not convicting them. Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, that's icing on the cake, right? Yeah. Well, I think we tried to get into internal affairs complaints. Like, so when we were talking about corruption, because, you know, that's that's vital if you're going to talk about corruption. But here's the thing. Here's the wall that we ran into that we run into time and time again. There is no organized database uh, at least provided by the government that tracks internal affairs complaints. Of course not. And that is something that's going to come up time and time again today. And I think that, you know, whether we're looking at shootings or, you know, the internal affairs, I think that that is probably going to be one of the first places that if we're going to fix policing in America, we've got to address because we don't know shit about shit. Yeah. I mean, we've got inklings of ideas. We can look at news articles or try to piece together this and figure out that, you know, but, but we're really running on fumes here. Yeah. I mean, like if you were to hold it up and compare it to say, uh, you know, teachers salaries or, or look at, uh, you know, the rates of, uh, alcoholism with astronauts, I think like we're, we're way behind when it comes to police. 
Yeah, there's there's no question about that. Um, another angle I think we have to consider when we're talking about an issue as broad as you know policing in America is that some places are far worse off than others. I mean, yeah. when we look at somewhere like uh, like Baltimore or mm-hmm. Ferguson, uh, you know, these are huge sore thumbs right. that stick out, and that's not indicative of of national policing. I mean, we look at Baltimore, five point seven million dollars were paid out to the victims of brutality between 2011 and 2014. Um, it's, a, it's a huge number. Yeah. Over the past four years, more than 100 people have won court judgments or settlements related to allegations of, of brutality and civil rights violations. So, you know, what, what tiny little percentage of the people who were actually brutalized or victims of of police corruption got as far as making a settlement yeah you know yeah. you have to if a hundred people got a settlement you have to wonder how many people fell through the cracks you yeah know? yeah it's it's, it's people harder. who weren't going to go make the complaint or who weren't going to hire an attorney to to represent them right you're just screwed you're out in the cold yeah absolutely you brought up baltimore uh looking at baltimore their police officers are arrested at double the rate of police officers in philadelphia and washington Holy so which are, you know, shit. two cities that are right there, right close, you know, so all three are kind of dealing with the same, you know, uh, factors and stuff. Not to say that there's not differences, but so and I remember not too long ago seeing the uh, the accidental body cam footage of the Baltimore police officers like planting, planting evidence. evidence. I mean, I mean, they've dude, got a long history of shit, planting watch evidence. the wire. I mean, you know what I mean? Like like Baltimore <laughs> is is broke. It is completely broke, like top to bottom. So. Uh, does Baltimore uh, compare to Cairo, Illinois? You know, of uh, course no, not. Or Lexington, yeah, Kentucky. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, you have you have some places and that pull a lot of the attention to themselves because, you know, there's a show called The Wire and it's salacious and, you know, it, if it bleeds, it leads and stuff like that. Um, but it also kind of skews our perceptions a little bit. Right. The same thing happened with Ferguson. I mean, yeah. we all know about the, the, the travesties of Ferguson. Um, I mean, the Justice Department came out and said that Ferguson Police Department engaged in a pattern of conduct that violates the First, Fourth, and Fourteenth Amendments. I mean, this is straight from their report. Um, that was a condemnation of, of the policing overall in Ferguson. That wasn't talking about, you know, that was not a judgment on the Michael Brown thing. Right. That was saying that the Ferguson police overall um, are corrupt. Yeah. And racist. Yeah. And, but my, my larger point is that we ought not to look at Ferguson and, and assume that that's the way all police departments are, mm-hmm. because I don't think they are. Yeah. Um, and that's not to minimize, you know, at the same time, that's not to minimize the problems with the Ferguson Police Department. Well, I would add to that. We also shouldn't look at them and assume that that's the only form that corruption can take. Or, you know what I mean? So, like, for instance, when you brought up the, the Louisville assistant police chief, who said some just downright nasty shit. And if you want to say it on air, you're more than welcome to. But I still contend that this is a family show. But <laughs> This is far from a family show. So uh, we've talked about it twice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump into it here. Um, the Louisville assistant police chief, this is on, on record, and he was fired for it rightly, yeah. um, said to a, to a recruit in a Facebook message or a text message, uh, if mom is hot, then fuck her. If dad's hot, handcuff him, make him suck my dick. Unless daddy's black, then shoot him. Yeah, and he's talking about people they're arresting. That's yeah, right. Yeah. He also says, fuck the right thing. If black, shoot him. That's- so 
with with shit like that going on yeah. in police departments, it's hard to make a case that they're not all racist. You, right, you know right. what I'm saying? Well, it's and, really hard. And so in Louisville, which has had its share of problems, uh, you know, regarding race well, and we policing. We just, just had another shooting um, yeah. last week Absolutely. in Louisville. Uh, oh. It's still not Baltimore. You know what I mean? So like, so in, on one hand, like by holding up Baltimore, we're saying, you know, we, we tend to say it's indicative of everything. And we also tend to give Louisville a pass because it's not Baltimore. You right. know what I mean? So like we're, we're kind of screwing it up both ways <laughs> when you, when you look at it, but like holding this outlier up as representative, right? You know? It's it, yeah. That's, that's a problem we get mm. into with a lot of things. I think when we're trying to make judgments about, you know, the country as a whole, yeah. um, we have a tendency to look at, um, you know, again, with confirmation bias, we look at the things that, that feed our worldview and the news tends to feed us things, uh, that, that, that feed a narrative, right? So we've just, we got to be, we got to be careful mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to handle these things. And, and, you know, don't be too careful Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. hey, there's a huge glaring problem here and it's obvious, right. you know, and right. we need to fix it. But well, one of the, one of those problems is, is that sometimes we set ourselves before we even walk out the door. Right. So I want to talk for a minute about something called civil forfeiture. Oh right? God. Civil forfeiture is intended to be a tool by which law enforcement can fight organized crime. The One I- of the biggest travesties of justice in the United <laughs> States, if you ask me. The, the idea is that let's say a cop is trying to take down Al Capone, all right? And he goes to Al Capone's hideout, and there's all this money sitting there, and he doesn't have anything that he can necessarily charge Al Capone with, but he's got a strong feeling that that money is the proceeds of bootlegging, Okay. Civil forfeiture allows the police to charge that money with a crime and take it. And, and now they have that money, and it is up to Al Capone to now prove that that money was not involved in a crime if he wants to get it back. That's right. Now, is it hard for police and, and various federal agencies to bring down organized crime? It, it's absolutely difficult. But is this a tool that we should have put in the hands of cops? I don't think so. And let me tell you, let me, let me give you one example. In 2016, there was a man named A. Wah, and he was pulled over on a stretch of Oklahoma highway that is notorious for its involvement in the drug trade. Uh, so the cops start, you know, you know, talking to him, they, they get him out of the car, they bring out a police drug sniffing dog. Allegedly, the dog got a hit on the car. <laughs> That's right. the funny thing about dog hits is, is we've known for years that Officers who train these dogs can can signal the dog to hit whenever they want. Right, right. The hit is the hit is almost irrelevant. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> you call the dog in, you give it the signal to hit, the dog hits. Well, I think what's what's most telling about the dog hit is what they ended up finding, right? So inside the car Let me guess, uh, a couple kilos of cocaine. No, not even. Uh they found fifty three thousand dollars in cash, but no drugs or paraphernalia of any sort. $53,000, that's a lot of cash, $53,000 in cash. That is a lot of cash. And I will even say that is a lot of cash to be driving down a notorious stretch of Oklahoma Highway with. You is know, that if, against if the law? I don't, you know. Yeah, that's a good question. So the money was, was seized under civil forfeiture laws. And, uh, but Mr. Waugh was not charged with anything and Holy was let go. Shit. Now, all this works out if Mr. Waugh was somehow involved in the drug trade. Sure. Let me tell you why Mr. Waugh had $53,000 of cash in his car. Uh, Mr. Waugh was the manager of a Christian rock band from Burma 
that had been touring the country raising funds for a religious college and an orphanage in Burma. Those donations, along with the band's expense money and merch profits, are what authorities see. So what, a, what a travesty, man. It, it only works if there's no other explanation for there being $53,000 in the car. And, and the biggest problem with, with forfeiture is that now the onus is on Mr. the Wah. suspect, yeah. is, is on Mr. Waugh to go get his money back. And, Absolutely. And if you can't prove where you got the money or why you have it, yep. uh, then you're just screwed out of it. Plus, Not to mention it requires an attorney yeah. to file the paperwork. So and they just took 53 grand of Mr. Waugh's money. That's you right. know what I mean? <laughs> so. and, and Mr. Waugh is not the only one. Um, yeah, I've read a story not. about a guy who was traveling. He owned a construction company. He was traveling to California for, uh, I think it was California, uh, for a cash only auction to mm-hmm. buy construction equipment. Had 20 grand in the car. Cops pull him over. Up, taking the twenty grand, and you know there there goes his his money for the auction. Like, and it's there's nothing illegal about carrying twenty thousand dollars. It's a cash only auction. Yeah, he's right. got to have the money to buy the things. Right, right. So, so what does this say to people in America? You know, that's to me when I hear about this, it's like you better you better keep your money in a bank account. You know, you better do it all straight by the. Uh, by the books, or or we're just going to take it from you, and yeah. and due process is out the fucking window. Well, no, that's not even that that's point. not even keeping your nose clean. I mean, they, basically, he got those people are getting their money seized for driving down a stretch of highway. for driving down exactly. Yeah, I mean that that is literally the only thing that they've done is right. drive down a suspicious stretch of highway. Yeah, it's it's you ridiculous. Know? Yeah, to me. I no, mean, absolutely. we talk about corruption, and I wish I'd grabbed the numbers, but I believe it's in the to the tune of billions of dollars that are that are being seized every year. Yeah, well, it's it's hard to piece together, uh, you know, again, there's no concise database, but it's hard to piece together um, state and local and all that stuff. But I can tell you there's something like $5 billion uh, seized just by the federal government with uh, civil forfeiture. That's just feds? Yeah, that is just, just feds. So, yeah. so imagine when we go to approach this as concerned citizens and we say, you know, we want civil forfeiture to, to cease. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to have some probable cause to seize money. You know, you got to yeah. tie it to a crime at, at least. Um, police departments are throwing up their hands and going, well, how the fuck are we going to pay for our, uh, you know, our APCs and, yeah, our, and yeah. our AR-15s and our ammo and, you know, yeah. and our dog training programs? If they're losing $5 billion, and it's more than $5 because $5 billion yeah. is just the federal number. Yeah, States exactly. are seizing yeah. uh, in mass. You know, yeah. local PDs well, the are Fed, seizing. The Fed actually takes that money and then breaks it out. And there's a program that's called like Equitable Sharing. And they actually take that money and um, at least a, a, a good portion of it, they split out to local law enforcement agencies, and state law enforcement agencies. So all that money ends up more or less uh, being fed back into the, the local agencies. But again, um, I, I, think, I think worrying about the numbers almost distracts from the idea that, that of course it's being abused. Are you kidding? Like, you, you don't have to charge the guy with a crime right. to take his shit. Of course, we are just taking all kinds of stuff. And so the problem for me is, is immediately, how is that even constitutional, right? Well, it turns out it's shaky as hell. Well, it's funny you say that the, the amount of money doesn't matter, because I did actually dig up how much money uh, is being burgled from people by burglars. Oh, yeah. And it's to the tune of about $4 billion. 
Oh, yeah. So in all, the federal government is stealing more money from the people than burglars are. (laughs) Give me a break, man. Fuck the constitutionality of it. No, no, no. Well, what I'm saying is, is like, so, you know, if they but would you be mad if they stole six hundred thousand? Yeah. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Like, so so that's yeah, that's my argument. No, I mean, I get the numbers. I'm just saying, I mean, it's gross. And and Lord, we got to do something to stop it. So the way you stop it, I think, is, again, through the Supreme Court. Right. And and currently these these forfeitures are upheld by the Supreme Court. Correct. Right. There is a decision that's uh, I think it was Benning versus Michigan. And basically this guy uh, had his wife's car. Maybe they jointly owned the car and he ended up picking up a prostitute. And when the cops busted him for it, they seized the car because it had been used in illegal activity. And the wife wanted the car back. She was like, I didn't. My car. I didn't pick up I didn't know what the hell he was doing about it. Hoots will get you in trouble every time, folks. I read through. I normally I'm for taking the long view of Supreme Court decisions and getting into the nitty gritty. I looked at this decision and it, it boils down to this shit. Uh, William Reinquist, who was the chief justice of the Supreme Court, said in the decision, an owner's interest in property may be forfeited by reason of the use to which the property is put, even though the owner did not know that it was to be put to such use. So you loan a guy your car, a guy uses the car to smuggle drugs, uh, doesn't matter, the car can be forfeited. But here's what's important, like there's no, because he said so. I mean, like he, he's not, I mean, he has some, some backing things where people have seized this and seized that, but he never talks about like the legal justification for someone having no idea that their property was used in a crime, why they're subject to having their property taken. Well, and if this is the, if this is the case that's upholding, that's thought to uphold civil forfeiture, yeah, yeah. that really doesn't speak much to civil forfeiture either. Yeah. Well, uh, it's, unless it's, you consider that what the money's property and, but, but no, in this case, they caught him with a prostitute. Right, right. You know, he was he was breaking the well, law. No, 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 in the case it's not, of it's not the question of him. It's the question of her. Of her. She didn't know that there was a crime going on. So you have to charge again, the car with a crime. But but what I'm saying is that charging the money with a crime, there's no there's no evidence that that thirty four thousand dollars or whatever was was used in commission of a crime. There's yeah, none. Well, there's only this loose suspicion that uh, this highway is used to drive drugs back yeah. and forth and you have money well so at, at the very least even if we leave civil forfeiture in place then it definitely needs some boundaries i think is what you're speaking to right so the good news is is that the current supreme court sounds like you know you never you never have like the current the supreme court like just come out and say shit you always hear like rumors and rumblings yeah. and stuff but basically it sounds like the supreme court is begging for civil forfeiture cases like good. they want them because and, and people were thinking that we might even see a unanimous decision that's at least in some way going to roll back civil forfeiture. Yeah, we've got to shut that shit down. And man. Lord, we need it, man, because, yeah, I, there's just no good reason for it. And, and, and this is what I was getting at is you're asking at this point, you're asking cops to be corrupt. Oh, when sure. You give them a tool like that. I mean, Jesus yeah, especially Christ, especially if man, your department's you know? underfunded. Yeah. No. And then the next year you're all driving chargers and shit. Yeah, absolutely. Give man. me a Doing break. Doing burnouts in the parking lot. Yeah, you can't you can't do that. So this is just yet another piece of the puzzle that's kind of increasing the divide between cops and civilians, mm-hmm. you know, because because we hear this stuff, you know, it's not like civil forfeiture flew under the radio radar for for years. Right. Um, but we're starting to see news articles about it. We're starting to hear people talk about it um, and call it out. Um, If we don't start attacking these issues, we're just creating a larger and larger divide between police and and civilian. 
And that's the total opposite way we need to go. If we want right. police to protect us and we want to be comfortable at a traffic stop when we get pulled over, um, we've got to start attacking these things that, that cause this divide. And, and one of the things that causes a divide uh, more than any of this, especially in the communities where it happens, are, are no-knock raids. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a, a no-knock raid is basically when police get a warrant to enter a home, uh, a search warrant. And instead of knocking on the door and saying, hey, the police are here, you know, open up. They yeah. just kick in the door, throw a flashbang through the window yeah. and uh, and come in. Yeah. And and that's gross to me. I mean, for one, if you look at a, a state with castle doctrine mm-hmm. where you're allowed to protect your, your property with deadly force, if someone kicks in your door, you are absolutely authorized to to shoot them, to right. kill them. And and we've actually seen this upheld. Um, there are several people who have had their doors kicked in by cops. The cops did not announce. Uh, they shot the cops, in some cases killed the cops. And, yeah. and overwhelmingly, we see no charges filed. Right. So so what does that do for for a citizen um, when you could have your door kicked in by, by police officers any day? You, yeah. know, you live in a neighborhood that maybe home invasions are, are up. Uh, maybe you have to worry about home invasions every day. And and you've got the shotgun next to your bed mm-hmm. and you hear the door kicked in. Uh, what are you going to do, man? Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, what are you going to do? It, isn't it you know, perhaps going to make you hesitate? And I think you also have to mention with no knock raids, uh, we've seen them go to the wrong house. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't know how many times, you yeah, know, they've I mean, kicked in granny's front door. I'm sure I'm sure there are. Well, it turns out there are 20,000 no knock raids a year. So I'm sure the percentage that's the wrong house is very small. But 20,000. 20, yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't wager that the percentage is is you know infinitesimally small. Yeah. I mean, you got to think a a seven could look like a one. Yeah, true. and they go to one eleven instead of one seventeen. Yeah, you know it's got to happen. And man. then and then probably you know write the homeowner a ticket for not having their address clearly marked. That's right. And and what <laughs> happens? What happens when when it's when it's the wrong house? Right. Right. You you walk at the police walk out. Head in hands. They've just flashbanged your fucking baby. Yeah. You know, in some case, officer threw a flashbang in a baby's crib. Yeah. Through yeah. the window. Like, I remember that no one. shit. Um, and and what's the what's the recourse for the citizen? Nothing. Yeah. You got to pay to have your door fixed. Just, oh, oops. You got to fix your yeah. window. <laughs> you got to clean up your house now that they've torn it apart. Yeah. Possibly scarred your child for life. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, you can probably you can probably, you know, go for a civil suit or whatever if you have the means. Right. To to go after a civil suit. You and know. this is the reason we have amendments against search and seizure. Right. Right. I mean, this is the protection. Yeah. That that the Fourth Amendment provides. Absolutely. See, one of the things one of the things that bugs me about no knocks is, you know, you were talking about things that create a divide. So when we look at civil forfeiture, right. I think we have a really shitty policy that cops then go and abuse, right? But with no knocks, it gets it gets a little murkier, right? It's a really shitty thing that we allow no knock rate. It's terrible. I I, I can't even. I, I read a legal justification um, uh, back from like 1970. Horseshit. That was trying to justify it and talking about common law. Absolute horseshit and all this stuff. And again, uh, you know, maybe maybe there's lawyers out there that will bag on me for this for not not being a purist. But I think, man, we all know damn well what the Fourth Amendment means. You know, no unreasonable search and seizure, right? So the problem with no knocks though becomes 
I don't think you can really blame necessarily the guys who are carrying out the no-knock. Because how many of the guys who are carrying out the no-knocks are the people who authorized that raid, sought the warrant, investigated the crime, any of that stuff? And I want you to think for a second of what it does for them psychologically, knowing that the person inside is completely legally justified to kill them the second they go That's through right. that door. That's right. You know, so now they're on edge, they're tense, and I'm not, I'm not saying it excuses their actions because they have plenty of programs and training and stuff like that that they can undertake. Well, I won't say plenty. We'll get into that later. But they have programs and training that they can undertake to offset those nerves, that adrenaline and stuff. But at the same time, uh, did the guy mean to throw the flashbang in the baby's crib or was he just tweaking out because there's some, you know, well, maybe there's somebody see the with the baby's crib. You he know what I mean? Through the yeah, window. Yeah, he's, just, he's just tossing it, it, you know? And the flashbangs are there because, well, you're perfectly legally within your rights to shoot back. So you got to yeah. flashbang and disorient them in case they start bucking. So where the Supreme Court screwed us here was, I think, I think they had good intentions, but they didn't think things through. And I think they might have even let public opinion kind of pressure them into this decision. When they made the decision that back in 2006, that, that gives the, the basically the basis for no-knock raids, the, all, they, all they actually ruled on was that evidence collected after a no-knock raid was no longer inadmissible. Uh, Before that, it had been inadmissible in a court of law, you know, fruit of the poisonous tree and all that Right, as stuff. it should be. Right. So they ruled that, you know, the fact that you no-knock didn't change the nature of the evidence and, and, and yada, yada, yada. Well, here's the thing. All you people, every time that you hear some criminal got off on a technicality and stuff, or you watch that Law & Order episode where, oh, they can't use the evidence, but we know the guy did it, and you get all mad and stuff. Well, let me tell you why we have those technicalities. It's so shit like this doesn't right. happen. So right. grandma's not shot in her house because they think the, that she's the weed dealer that's actually two houses up. Yeah, it is the only thing holding those cops back from doing no-knock raids was the idea that they had nothing to gain from it. If you let them gain from it, of course they're going to do it because for them, they want the element of surprise. Right. You know, of, of course that's what and, they're going to do And if I guess you let the them. idea behind no-knock raids is that, you know, people won't be able to get rid of evidence while you're knocking on the door yeah no that the idea is that a you catch them unaware so you're hopefully looking at less resistance going into the house like as far as you know somebody shooting back at you yeah but also so that you can't destroy the evidence and to me that's a load of horse shit because a why are we rolling out squadrons of military outfitted police for low-level drug crimes and i say low level because any amount of drugs that you could flush down the toilet between the time that they knock and say police and actually kick in the door. I mean, you're talking about a handful at best, right? Right, right. So if you're kicking in the house, kicking in the door of a house with, you know, six kilos, 10 kilos or something, they're not flushing those drugs. Yeah, right. Like they're not running out the back, you know, with a backpack full of fucking kilos of Coke yeah. or something. Well, let me, let me, I'm, I don't think it changes your point, but just to be fair, just to be fair, if in the case where they knock, what's supposed to happen, the idea is that, uh, the officer is actually supposed to knock, announce who they are, and give a reasonable amount of time for the homeowner to come to the door. Mm. So not to say, again, that they could get rid of 10 kilos, but um, it's not uh, the, the opposite of a no knock is not, hey, warrant walking in. You know I think it saying? could be. There's so, some middle yeah. ground there. Yeah, though. yeah. There, well, I there's, mean, shit, there's some if, middle ground there. Well, with this Supreme Court ruling, it's whatever the hell they want it to be. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's outrageous. Um, there's another there's another downside of this this no knock raid thing that I'd like to quickly point out too, and that is the 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 practice of swatting. 
Yeah. I don't know if you guys have heard this, but the practice of swatting, you'll you'll go on uh, someone's live feed where they're streaming or something and call the cops and say, you know, this guy has uh, six AR-15s. He's pointing out the window and trying to shoot people. Right. Uh, send a SWAT team immediately. And you know what? Nine times out of 10, they actually send a SWAT team. I mean, yeah. you've got live streamed 16-year-old kids sitting there live streaming video games and and the SWAT team kicks in the door, yeah. you know, guns guns blazing. Um, that is an incredible amount of ha- power to hand to the civilian population, yeah. right? If I can make a phone call and send a SWAT team in your house, yeah, just on something I've said, like that is that is a dangerous amount of power. No, it is. It's something I I don't. I think the it's hard to say what the easy way to fix that one is, right? Because oh, how about good old fashioned police work and investigation? I mean, Show up to the house. Okay. Is he pointing All guns right. out the window? Okay. Knock on the door. Ask to come in. So long as the time that somebody calls in and says there's AR-15s pointing outside this house and 18 people get shot down because the cops took their time looking into it before they sent in SWAT. So long as you don't get upset, it's fine. Well, no, send the cops over quick, you know? Yeah, yeah. But don't just take every call at its word. Well, I mean, like, send them so, over quick. If there's people bleeding in the streets, yeah, send the rapid response right. SWAT team. Well, I see. I see. I'm just saying I see where they're subject to criticism. And, and you, well, that's what I'm saying. Maybe you wouldn't. But we know damn well that if the SWAT team gets there 10 minutes after the cops do, that police department is going to have to answer questions about why that damn SWAT team showed up 10 minutes later. For yeah, months. well, they should. So that's that's where it becomes incumbent upon the citizens. Right. If you don't want. SWAT teams to bust into houses the second that any old Tom, Dick, or Harry calls it in to the cops, then you have to accept that there may be cases where the SWAT team gets into position a little bit later. Sure. You know what I'm saying? I'm okay with that. I accept it. You know what I'm saying? But well, it, I think we both tend to lean more towards liberty right. than security. And, I, right. and I, I think it, it goes back to you know the saying, um, those who would trade their liberty for security deserve neither yeah those two are end up with neither yeah, yeah end up way. with neither yeah. um those two things are mutually exclusive in some ways right you right. know you you can either have liberty mm-hmm. or you can have security i think our job is to kind of find a balance of the two obviously uh in an anarchistic society where all the liberties are provided um i wouldn't be happy in that sort of society. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we go dog eat dog really quick, you know? Yeah. So, so we need a balance. And I, I guess that's what this show is really about is, is trying to find, um, trying to find the balance right. between these two things. Yeah. That's what's important. It's very important to, you know, establish that balance, especially between Liberty and security. However, I think our fear <laughs> has made us skew that balance somewhat intensely when it comes to security when we look at how we have militarized the police. I That's mean, right. It's, it's, um, uh, it's I wild. mean, we've got police departments across the nation using straight up military gear. Um, most of the time it's purchased directly from the military and the federal government. Uh, in some cases, it's even subsidized directly by yeah. the federal government. Uh, as of 2014, according to the Defense Logistic Agency's Law Enforcement Support Office, uh, the government has given law enforcement agencies $4.3 billion of military-grade property. 36% of that property was brand new. Oh, So I think originally shit. the idea was they created this office and the military was going to take surplus stuff. That's right. And, and, you know, pass it down, you know, as hand-me-down. Yep. 
but it's morphed into this thing where it's almost like the police agencies are ordering direct from the factory and just using them as a funnel of things. That's right. You know? That's right. And they're and they're buying things like uh, <clears throat> full scale automatic assault rifles. Mm-hmm. Um, they're buying armored vehicles. Oh yeah. Um, they're buying flashbangs. Mm-hmm. Um, rocket launchers and grenade launchers in some cases. <laughs> yeah. Beans can check me on that, but I, I'm pretty sure there are some departments out there that have ordered and and have in their possession rocket launchers and grenade launchers. Well, I can tell you, we looked and there is an excellent, uh, a lot, a lot of what we're going to tell you here in this section, especially comes from a ACLU report. Uh, I think it was called the war at home. Um, and check the show notes on, on the website. Cause yeah. all of this stuff is there this, this week, especially we have yeah. quite a lot of information. We had, we had for three pages of sources. This yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. 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 We've done a lot of reading. Um, but, uh, anyway, in this ACLU report, they said that once again, there's no organized databases of where all these APCs went, but uh, there were at least 500 MRAP, which are mine-resistant, ambush-protected, armored personnel carriers uh, that had been issued to everyone from the Utah uh, Highway Patrol to, and I love this, the Ohio State University Police, who wanted to have it to increase their presence on game days. I mean, a mine-resistant, ambush-protected, armored personnel carrier. You got to wonder, man. We are not in Mexico, right? Yeah. It's not like there are cartels with with massive amounts of weapons that are hanging people from bridges mm-hmm. in the streets or setting up roadside bombs to blow up police officers. Right. Why the fuck do you need an MRAP? Yeah, no, I, I can't even begin to fathom. And I also, I mean, what? The Ohio State University football game, like, like, for what like yeah, what are you trying to tell us we're man? talking about you know the divide I mean? between police and civilians and when everyone who goes to a football game sees armored police yeah. in an mrap yeah you're expecting us to like to step back <laughs> from our perception of police yeah how do we not see you as something akin to the nazis that's right you know what i mean that's right jackbooted thugs at presence at present at our at our university games yeah Give me, give me a break here. I mean, so, and, and the terrible part is, is that most of this equipment ends up going to SWAT. <laughs> and so what do we use SWAT for? Well, that same ACLU study found out that 79% of all SWAT deployments were for warrant execution in drug cases. <laughs> and so that's, that's all warrant execution. So sometimes we're talking about, you know, a pound or, or an ounce, a QP. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If they got a, if they got a good line on them and stuff and we're deploying these, or a $5 bag of weed. Yeah. Well, I, I warrant for a, Oh, absolutely. A, yeah, in a drug Yeah. Case. You send someone in for a buy. They, they make a, a $5 buy. You don't know how much they've got. Absolutely. We have kicked indoors with the SWAT team over small amounts of marijuana. Guarantee. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, you can, you can try to find, I guarantee you look it up. Yeah. Guaranteed ounce, eighth quarter. It's all there. We've done it. Yeah. I don't know how much. And I, it, so that's kind of, that was the justification, right? Well, we got this, this war on drugs. We got a drug problem. We got to do something about these drugs. We got a, an MRAP. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that's where that, that wanting to trade your liberties for your security, well, that's where it's taking you. Man. Forget MRAP. I mean, if we're sending the SWAT team to a, to a drug dealer's house, you know, I've got a, I've got a problem with that. I, mm-hmm. And maybe it's just because I, you know, I don't think... Drugs are bad, okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, but but really, I feel like SWAT teams should be reserved for uh, hostage situations and things. You know what I'm saying? I right. mean, we're we're sending we're kicking in doors 
over over a, a drug dealer. It's crazy to me. Yeah. Um, well, actually, I, I've got a number for you on that. Oh, Because yeah? I think we can both agree that there are legitimate uses of the SWAT team, right? Sure. Uh, you've got hostage situations. You've got people who barricade themselves in and, you know, want to do harm to themselves. Send in the SWAT you know, team. Right, right. Put a sniper um, on the roof across the street. So I told you that 79% of all SWAT deployments were for execution of warrants on drug cases. So when we look at hostage situations, barricade situations, or active shooting scenarios in which the SWAT team is deployed, it's uh, 7% of all deployments. Oh, shit. I mean, that's just crazy. It's <laughs> just crazy. 7%. Not to mention the fact that when we're serving a drug warrant, right, you're talking about a suspect at mm-hmm. that point. You're not talking about a convicted criminal. Right. They're a suspect. They're a civilian at that point. They're supposed to be presumed innocent until mm-hmm. proven guilty, yet we're going to send in an armed SWAT team that, you know, again, flashbangs through the windows and yeah. shit. This person is not necessarily a criminal. Right. He's but- to be presumed innocent. So what happens when you get your door kicked in as a suspect? Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it goes back to the, the flashbangs through the window. They tear up your house and the court, six months later, finds you not guilty. Right. Who's responsible for that? Yeah. You know, nothing. You were not guilty. You committed no crime. You've had this this egregious offense against you and now you're left to pick up the pieces of your broken life yeah which is obviously it's it's going to give you a bad taste in your mouth when it comes to talking about the police it's going to scare the rest of the populace but i think one of the things that you're mentioning brings up an interesting point and it works both ways because what has all this military gear and all this military training what has it done to the cops themselves right so when we were we were looking at stuff and we started looking at programs that they're training the police with, and uh, we found training courses that were called "Steal Your Battle Mind," and that that course defines battle mind as a warrior's inner strength to face fear and adversity during combat with courage. It is the will of per- to persevere and win. It is resilience. Woof. Uh, we found another one that was called the Warrior Mindset and Chemical Munitions. I mean, this sounds like stuff that we're prepping out the SEAL teams for. It, it, it doesn't sound like, you know, what we're trying to get police officers ready for to go bust somebody for a dime bag. Right. You know, or anything else or, or traffic stops. You know, what's the, the overwhelming amount of police work? Right. Is right. nondescript, boring shit. So I think I think the most egregious one was <laughs> there was a presentation given at a conference for the International Law Enforcement Firearm Instructor. All right. We're not even... We're not even talking about the, the trigger men who are going through the door. We're talking about firearm instructors. And this is how they, this is the presentation. This is how they, you know, set this up for them. Uh, preparations for attacks on American schools that will bring rivers of blood. Rivers of blood. And staggering body counts are well underway in Islamic terrorist camps. It goes on to say that police agencies aren't used to this. We deal with acts of a criminal nature. This is an act of war. But because of our laws, we can't depend on the military to help us. The U.S. is the one nation in the world where the military is not the first line of defense against domestic terrorist attacks. By law, you, the police officer, are our Delta Force. We are we are hopping these guys up and we're we're sinking in this like warrior mentality. You know, kind of again, I'm going to go back to old Predator again. Watch the beginning of Predator, too. But anyway, that, that they are in a war, that it is a combat. So when we give them an MRAP or an APC and they go and they make a drug bust and they bust through the man's doors 
and they bust through the walls and they tear up all the shit inside and they don't find anybody. Right. And then this one guy in this, in this report that that exact situation happened. And he said, uh, the premises were devoid of suspects and civilians. And that goes directly to what I'm saying. When you have a cop that is looking at a suspect apart from a civilian, right? We've got major, major problems. Yeah. I mean, we all know innocent till proven guilty. It was one of the right. first things I heard about our justice system so, as a six year old. A suspect has to be a civilian, a citizen. And I got a feeling that these guys, I mean, it feels to me like they see them as combatants, yeah. as enemies, as possibly a part of the, you know, Islamic terrorist situation that's forming rivers of blood or the evil drug dealers who are going to, I'm not saying there's not bad shit out there, y'all, but this country is founded on exactly what you're saying, man. Uh, innocent until proven guilty. Well, you're still a person. Not to mention crime levels have been falling right. for 20 years. Yeah. So it's not getting worse. Yeah. It's getting better. And we, we even found data that, uh, again, it'll be in the show notes, that if you look at the 1970s and look at now, uh, police officer deaths are way down. Way down. So at the same time that we're telling them they're in a war, in a sense, things have never been better in a violent standpoint between police and criminals. That's right. You know what I mean? No, that's absolutely correct. Things are, things are getting better between police and civilians, yet we are increasingly treating the police more like military personnel in a war zone when right. none of the evidence supports that. Um, you know, when we talk about war zones, we're even we're hiring veterans yeah. straight back from war zones well, onto the police force. I think I think, you know, so at the same time as we're sitting here and we're saying that, you know, militarization is probably going to have serious impacts and ramifications on on citizens and cops alike. Um, it's interesting to look at the hiring of veterans onto police uh, police forces, because uh, one of the interesting things to note is that the military actually has a stronger set of rules of engagement than most of our local police forces. That's right. So for the listeners who don't know, the rules of engagement basically determine when you are able to apply force to a situation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in the Iraq war, for example, uh, the Bush administration said U.S. armed forces were not permitted to open fire on known Al-Qaeda killers until they themselves were fired upon. Uh, of course, the enemy was very familiar with this restriction, which led to the SEALs uh, saying, you mean I'm not allowed to kill him till after he's killed me? <laughs> yeah. So no. you're looking at a war zone in a foreign country where they have to wait to be fired upon to fire back. Yet in our own country, all an officer has to do is say, oh, I was afraid. Well, it's actually it's it, it gets even deeper in that, because whereas you're right, as far as they were limited and that they couldn't fire until fired upon. But also by military law within the rules of uh, within a lot of rules of engagement. That's not to say that there's one standard set of rules of engagement that apply to every situation in the military. They custom them to each theater, to each operation. But oftentimes in their rules of engagement are actually uh, it's required that they attempt to deescalate the situation. Right. And the military. Obviously, and there are penalties laid out. Yeah. For, for failing to oh, meet absolutely. the rules you can be prosecuted. You'll go, go before a military yeah. tribunal in right, military right. court. And the military has an interest in doing that because, you know, they don't want dead civilians on the nightly news. I mean, I'm right. not, it's not, not necessarily angelic motives there, but fair enough, it gets the job done, right? Right. Uh, you would hope that police, you know, forces here at home 
would take that same tact. But, but the thing they is, don't. well, they they here they do. They issue these these rules of, of engagement for their police officers. But at the end of the day, they amount to guidelines. It's it's no different than. Uh, the talking to the media guidelines that I'm giving at work. It's in my employee handbook. This is how you should talk to the media. Right. So if I don't do it, I could get in trouble. There's punitive punishments from your management. Right. But it's not like you're going to stand before court. You're definitely not going to violated rules of engagement and definitely not in front of a military tribunal, which is scary as hell. The burden of proof is on you in a military tribunal. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, and, and I feel like in some ways, maybe we should be treating the police more like the military then, especially yeah. in this case. Like, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, and wanting, we have some rules of engagement for citizens. Yeah. Please. No, I mean, I think we absolutely should. Uh, there was an interesting story in West Virginia. Uh, there was a cop who had just gotten back from Afghanistan and he went to a domestic, uh, domestic violence call. And he actually got fired uh, for not firing on the person that, uh, you know, the person that he was arresting or whatever. Uh, he actually was, you know, hearkening back to the rules of engagement that he had learned while part of the military in Afghanistan and did not fire his weapon. And for that, even though he arrested the guy and, you know, we had as happy an ending as we could possibly have for that, he was fired because he had taken an unnecessary risk. You're lying to me. No, Dude, that has to, to be a lie. I'm not lying to you. That yeah, I can- sure enough. I am suffering cognitive dissonance because look down in the show notes. It's I there. can't imagine yeah. a world in which that is the case. Like I just, I just can't. It's, yeah. it's flabbergasting. All, it's mind blowing. All, all that being said, uh, it's not to say that veterans are, you know, the, the wonder cure, right? They're not, they're not a panacea. And, and the reason is, is oftentimes as, as we always do, we drop the ball in trying to transition vets back. So they did some studies and, you know, did some roundtables and talked to a lot of veterans who are currently serving on the police force. And it turned out that like, you know, uh, I think it was something like 28% of them said that they had PTSD symptoms that were affecting their job performance. And I mean, not necessarily in poor decision-making, but like even as little as like they drive defensively or they're startled or, you know, things that affect their job. And there just aren't enough, there isn't enough like uh, programs and support to help them transfer from a place where you could be killed by a sniper at any moment yeah. to now I'm busting this dude for a dime well, sack. I don't think we look at PTSD um, in, in the overall police profession as, as hard as we should. Right. Um, especially if we're telling them that they're, that they're basically military combatants in a war zone. Um, and then, and then they're going and kicking down doors. Plus police see the worst of the worst. They see the Absolutely. worst of the child abuses um, they see the worst of the nastiest people on earth. Like you have to assume that that many of them are suffering from PTSD. And in in prep for the episode, um, I didn't know enough about PTSD, so I looked into it. And I just I picked some of the symptoms that I felt like might especially affect a police officer, and I I, I want to share them with you guys. Um, so for one, we've got negative beliefs about oneself, others, or the world. You know, you could see how that would quickly yeah. color your dealings. Um, with, with, with civilians, absolutely. Um, a constant negative mood state feeling mm-hmm. disconnected from others. That's a killer right there. The inability to feel positive emotions, irritability, angry outbursts without provocation, mm-hmm. recklessness, mm. self-destructive behavior, yep. hypervigilance, or an exaggerated startle response. And that is a big one right there. These yeah. are all. Any, any of these viral videos 
about police misbehavior mm-hmm. in the past years, I think you could pick one of these things mm-hmm. and pin it on them. Yeah. I mean, I really do. I don't, I don't think there's, there's any of these cases. Um, exaggerated startle response. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and we wonder why they're, why they're shooting at people. Yeah. You know, I, I think we have to look strongly at PTSD um, and figure out how to, how to get past that. I don't, you well, know, I don't know how to do that. I think, I think that one of the things that we've done is we've started, like, we, we've gone excessively to the point where we're like cops are the bad guy, right? And we're glossing over the things that they have to deal with. And it's a response to, okay, it works like this. Like back in the day, people would say, well, the cops are shitty. And then people would be like, well, you don't understand what cops got to put up with. And they're like, well, I still expect more from them. Yeah. And, and so, okay, so we're running back and forth. We're making those arguments and we're going down the line and da, 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 But nobody ever looked at like, you know, we're not looking at the merits of each argument, right? Just because I think that the cops need to do more and be held accountable and have a higher standard doesn't mean that I don't fully acknowledge that their job is tough, man. Yeah. And so first off, we're going to, you know, the PTSD that they're accumulating every day and then we got to talk about adrenaline. Yeah. Adrenaline and adrenaline addiction plays a huge role in a cop's day-to-day operations and everything that they get involved in. And, and you know, I mean, they're just, they're basically, you know, rolling around all day. And at any moment, they could have an intense high stakes situation where they've got to make split second, perfect judgments. Yeah. Go on a high speed chase. Right get out of the car and run after a suspect for, for 15 minutes, jump fences. And- well, I'm glad you mentioned uh, foot, uh, feet foot chases. There we go. That was a tough one. Uh, specifically because a Chicago Tribune analysis of police shootings in Chicago between 2010 and 2015 found that a third of them were preceded by foot pursuit. A third of those shootings had a foot pursuit before it. So... That adrenaline's pumping. That adrenaline's flowing. Now you've got to make a decision. You got to calm down. You got to drop that heart rate. How good are they doing that? I don't know. Well, you know? I mean, it's it's practically it's that's an impossible task, honestly, because right. adrenaline is a powerful drug. Mm-hmm. When you're under the influence of adrenaline, um, you're excitable. You're there in the heat of the moment. So so when that suspect stops, it's immediately guns drawn. Doesn't matter. You know your your heart's your heart rate's up. Mm-hmm. You're pumped. You're excited. Yeah. Here we go. And well, we see that we see that with the car chases as well. In fact, many uh, local agencies are completely reworking how they do their their car chase policies are, and procedures. There are jurisdictions that flat out do not allow high speed car chases. Yeah, some are uh, the helicopters stay on the subject from That's above, right. and the and the cars are told to just wait until we see an opportunity to corner him. Or, or and the reasons you. for that are many. I mean, yeah. for one, we've seen massive amounts of traffic fatalities due to high speed car right, chases. Right. Um, you know, we're pushing granted the, the, the driver, the cops are trained, right. But the guy yeah. they're chasing is not trained. Right. So if you're pushing him to 90, hundred miles an hour, 110 miles an hour, there's an increasing chance that he's going to spin out and smash something, yeah. you know? Well, there was a, uh, there was a case in California not too long ago where there was actually a, it was really bizarre. There was a three hour, uh, police chase and it involved both vehicles and horseback. This guy stole a horse right? at one point. Yeah. Well, anyway, when the cops finally caught up to this guy and they caught up to him, there was like 10 officers. Wait, you're talking about the guy on the horse when they finally caught up to the guy yeah, on the, the horse? Yeah, the guy that they were How chasing. How long could yeah. that possibly take? Well, they actually, I mean, he like, he went up through like mountain trails. And stuff. Oh, yeah, no, it, it got, no, it got intense. He's Skyrim on the horse well, up here going it, straight up the mountain. It did not work out for him too well. He got the ever loving shit stomped out of him because when they finally did catch up to him, now there's 10 officers hopped up on adrenaline and they've been chasing this guy for three hours. Yep. 
and they kicked the ever loving shit out of him. They really did. So I'm not saying that like they're absolved from that. That's gross. That's terrible. The yeah, fact they're that, absolutely like, not I absolved. I think it specifically from that. said, yeah, they're absolutely not. It specifically said at one point that like they all took turns getting a kick in. So, so I mean, Rodney King yeah, all over yeah, again. Was he white or black? Uh, actually, I think he was Hispanic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but uh, not that it really matters. Yeah, not that it really matters. <laughs> but at the same time, like if we're going to keep putting them in that position and we don't do adequate stuff to help them deal with it. Well, surely we've got you know, like training in place. I, I would say that it's, it's definitely not enough. And I would also say that one of the problems is with that, that macho warrior culture, you know, a lot of these cops, they're afraid to get into these programs. They're, they're not going to ask for them, ah. you know, because they don't want to be the guy who can't handle his shit. That's an interesting angle. You know what I mean? I mean, think about it. Yeah, you don't want to be the pussy on the, on the force. Oh, you're going, you're going to the psychologist, Joe? Yeah. the fuck's with that, man? One of, one of the most interesting things that I saw when we were looking up stuff for this episode is that when you kick an anonymous... Right. So I was searching like adrenaline and police and Mm -hmm. I advise anybody to do that because it's really amazing. Within the first three pages, I saw like 12 or 13 forums where an anonymous cop was like, hey, man, I'm having trouble with the adrenaline rushes, man. Like, I don't know how to handle them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, when it's when it's anonymous and they don't have the, the shit coming from their peers. Yeah, they know they got a problem. You know, absolutely. And that problem actually gets even deeper than just damage to the person they're chasing. There was a study of 300 Buffalo police officers, and they found that the stressors, all the stress and adrenaline rush uh, of police work uh, led to depressed cortisol levels. So basically what happens is when you wake up in the morning, you get a surge of cortisol, and it's actually throughout the day in a normal human, it's like a bell curve. Like it goes up by about noon, it's like, you know, at its height, and then, you know, it ebbs out at the end of the day. Well, cortisol is like what... What kind of helps you like regulate your, stress? Yeah, right? yeah, it regulates stress and it kind of helps you deal with the day. Well, uh, it a depressed cortisol level can lead to heart disease. It can lead to diabetes and psychological problems that end up inhibiting your ability to make decisions. Well, all three hundred of these Buffalo police officers are exhibiting serious <laughs> cortisol. <laughs> yeah, problems. let me guess. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, when tested, <laughs> yeah, we yeah, found absolutely. we found we found heart disease. We found the diabetes. We found a high suicide rate. Uh, they actually they had a life expectancy that was, if I remember correctly, and Beanzo can bust me on this one. I think it was something like seven years shorter than an average male. Holy. You know, yeah. and I mean, you know, I, there may be other factors there, but still at the same time, I mean, you got to imagine all that stress. It's, it's got to play a part. Yeah. You yeah. And, and at some point, at some point we have to understand that, right? And we have to be empathetic and we have to say, you know, police officers deal with this stress. Therefore, they're going to exhibit these responses. At the same time, we cannot allow that to absolve them of personal responsibility. Right. Right. Otherwise we, we lose control of, of the police force, you know, Mm -hmm. and we have things uh, happening like they are now, you know, case in point, look at the news, look at the viral videos. Like we have a problem. So, you know, again, it's a, it's a matter of, of balance. You know, how do we, how do we balance these things? Uh, How do we provide for police officers who are suffering PTSD how do we recognize the police officers who are suffering from PTSD? Mm-hmm. What do we do with them once we once we recognize it? Yeah. And and these are questions that I don't think anyone's asking. Yeah. You know, instead, I think that the national narrative is you fucking racist cops, you know, and, yeah. and from the cops looking back is, oh, you goddamn civvy. You don't understand how, you know, how it is out here yeah. on the beat. So yeah. 
neither of those things, even though they may be true, mm-hmm. uh, neither of those things help move us forward no, in the conversation. Not. Right. And that's, and that's one of, I think, one of the, in, in my opinion, in a, in, a, in, a, in a wild way, I think that this whole racist cop thing has become one of, I think it's ultimately going to prove to be one of the bigger barriers to actually fixing the problem. Because now we have saddled all our problems squarely at the feet of racist cops. That's right. And that we're, we're starting to see that that may not necessarily bear out. And what do I mean? Last week, we referred to a study by a guy named Rolando Fryer. Uh, Rolando, or Rolando, sorry. Rolando Fryer was a economist who uh, he said himself after seeing what happened in Baltimore with Freddie Gray and in Ferguson, he wanted to do a study to see what, you know, what, what the hell is going on. God bless him. Yeah. And he jumps into this study, he does it, and the results come back, and they're pretty counterintuitive when you look at what the national narrative is. And in fact, he said he was completely shocked, blew him away. Um, He found that uh, by looking at uh, people after they've been stopped by police and controlling for a slew of factors, like whether or not they were armed or unarmed, what neighborhood it was in, their background, the charges that were ultimately filed against them, so forth and so on. Uh, they came to the conclusion that black people overwhelmingly are more likely to draw uses of force during a police encounter. Okay. But they were no more likely and in some cases less likely than whites to be shot by police. That is totally counterintuitive, although it is interesting to hear that that he did corroborate excess use of force. Right. In right. black cases. And, and, and that means, uh, you know. Getting slammed on the hood of the police car, uh-huh. uh, uh, thrown being up against thrown the wall, thrown to the ground. Uh, even I, even I think like your arm being jerked up at an angle. You know what sure. I'm saying? They counted that. Sure. Um, it was it was really intense. Now there, are, there's some criticism. There to, are to this paper, right? Plenty I mean, of criticisms about this paper. <laughs> they're saying it relies on police reports. Yeah. Um, therefore, if the officers have have made false police reports, then your data's muddled. Yeah. Um, yeah. If they're biased in their reporting, then the data's muddled. Right. Um, it doesn't look. It disparities in why people were stopped. So right. if there's some racial bias going on uh, when they're stopping people, which I think unquestionably yeah. uh, we can say yeah. there probably no, is. Absolutely, there absolutely so is. So he's, right. he's not looking at that. Um, there were some some methodological questions about how they were controlling for variables. Yeah, when he started the other when he started getting into the police reports and saying, well, OK, this person had a weapon. So is when is this shooting, does this go into this category because this person had a weapon or does it go into this category because they thought he had a weapon? So there were some places where they had to make some somewhat subjective choices and and so on and so forth. A lot of people say, hey, he's an economist. He's not a criminologist or a sociologist. Uh, they concede that he's great at crunching numbers, right. but, you know, they wonder about his methodologies. And then when Vox reported the story, I think it was Vox, maybe it was uh, No, Huffington no, it was Post. actually the New York Times originally reported the, the story, and they, they called it a study. Right. And a lot of people got up in arms because it's actually a working paper, right? And, you know, then there was the cries about peer review, and I'm going to tell you what, we're going to do a really dry-ass episode about peer review one day, because, man, I got things to say about peer review. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, peer review is it's it's a good thing, but I I think we get a little bit too hung up on it. Uh, there's a really cool story uh, I think from Slate that uh, talked about the whole peer review issue with this paper uh, in particular, and I, I it's once again in the show notes. I recommend everybody go and look at it. But what was interesting is is what he did do right because he basically he went to the city of Houston, which my bad. One more thing, uh, they criticized him because he looked at the city of Houston. 
Why does that? But, why why is that a criticism? Well, because okay, so is Houston the same as Denver? Right? They're okay. saying you know is the sample set too small? But what he did almost required it because he did something that nobody's ever done before. He poured through one thousand three hundred, and I believe it was like thirty four uh, shooting reports over the span of fifteen years. He poured through every shooting report in the city of Houston over the span of fifteen years. Right, and he did, uh, you know, adjust for things like. Is, did the officer shoot somebody who was running at him with a weapon? Did the officer shoot somebody who was doing this? Was the person poor? Uh, did the person end up getting charged with resisting arrest? You know? Okay. And so you can make, uh, you know, you can make the claims that people have made. Well, we're getting this from a police report, and the police have a vested interest in presenting things one way. I'm not saying that that can't skew the data, but at the same time, to believe that 15 years and 1,500 almost uh, police reports are all from racist, vile bastards who are yeah. trying to mask, you know what I'm what saying? What are the chances that yeah. every single one of those are, or even an overwhelming majority, considering I'm sure some some portion of the police department is black? You yeah. know, some, yeah. some portion of these people that are making the reports are, are black themselves. Right, right. So I think probably the most important thing that he did was he looked at non-fatal shootings. And and believe it or not, a lot of these studies that you're hearing about don't look yeah, at non Yeah, most of these shootings. studies only look at fatal shootings, which is a huge mistake. Well, we got to look at why they don't look at non-fatal shootings, right? Because one of the issues was, is that just the year before the Rolando Fryer study dropped, uh, there was another study by a guy named Cody Ross that found that people shot by police were far likelier to be black than white, right? But Cody Ross, for one, dealt with a smaller population, even than Houston. Right. Uh, for two, he only looked at fatal shootings. Okay. And for three, he relied on alternative databases set up by non-governmental groups, which can and often include and rely upon news articles, which can and do have conflicting reports. Oh, we have a problem there, too, because when you're talking about the media, if it bleeds, it leads. Right. And if it fits the national narrative, buddy, yeah. you better believe they're running that story. There are white people shot by police every day that don't make it to the newspapers. Yeah, were we going to hear about Daniel Shaver if there wasn't a video? No, absolutely no, not. Yeah, no absolutely. one would even even talk about it. Right. Because uh, it doesn't fit the narrative. So yeah. I think if you're if you're using if you're using news stories to to create a scientific study, you've already kind of fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Out yeah. the gate. So so here here's what it comes down to, right? Is Rolando Fryer or Cody Ross right? And they're squaring it. Well, here's the problem, right? And, and we've been talking about it since the beginning of the episode. There is no organized database on police shooting. Bang. So these guys are doing the best they fucking can with what they got. You know, Mr. Fryer decided to pour through all these shootings. Cody Ross decided to go with his database. But and, as know, we know, I can't fault him because they don't have anywhere else to go. They're trying to find the data. Garbage in. Yeah. Garbage, garbage out. In, garbage out. Exactly. So we have a pretty good idea when we look at like flat statistics that this percentage of the population is being shot and it corresponds with this percentage of the general population. But as far as when we want to get into whys and hows and, and stuff like that, man, we don't know. Yeah, the data is just we're not running there. around in the dark. I mean, we really are. I mean, we can make an educated guess, I think, I yeah. mean, especially when you look at, you know, the Louisville police chief and, you know, we know racism plays a factor. The question Absolutely. is how much. Right, right. And well, there was actually, there was a guy uh, that I think spoke to that uh, really well. It's a dude named Sindil, um, and I'm probably going to butcher this and I apologize, but uh, Mullanathan? Is that Mullanathan? Okay, yeah. Mullanathan. Once again, down in the show notes, you can look at it yourself and figure out how you'd pronounce it. But anyway, so this dude, he came out and he 
you know, said, I'm not sure that police bias is, is necessarily going to fix that. And what he meant was individual police bias, right? Like when we go back to the national narrative, yeah. it's that individual cops are racist and they're making bad shoots and bad arrests and stuff based on that racism. Well, he said, well, let's look at the data, right? 28% of arrestees in this country are black. Uh, black people constitute 13% of the general population. So that's an arrest rate that is double, right? 31% of all people who are shot are black, which is really close to that 28% arrestee number. So what he gets to is, is the question that if you have a police encounter, you're more likely- Your to, you chances know, of yeah, getting shot, shot go up, right. yeah. So if you're having uh, police encounters that are disproportionate to your population, of course, you should have a number that's disproportionate of shootings. Right. So he, he kind of gets down to that 2% difference. And he says, if I eliminate the cops, the bias, we're looking at, so now we're stuck with 28% of shootings. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think so, you also have to look at, you know, of course, why, why are these stops happening? Right. Uh, disproportionately. And, and the answer may be that uh, because of systemic racism, we've pushed people into areas that are, you know, high population density, uh, high stress less education, you know, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. These things compound to build criminals. You right. know, we know a lot about criminality and what, what spawns criminality and, and desperation is, is a big part of that. So yeah. if we have a system that, that pushes black people into desperation, yeah. they're, they're, they're more likely to become criminals and because of their environment. Not to mention if we have ridiculous policies like militarizing the police or arrest quotas, or, uh, you know, no knock raids or any of the various things that we mentioned, all that stuff swirls together and it creates a vortex. And so if we have cops unfairly because of systemic racism patrolling harder in black neighborhoods, black people are going to have more encounters with police. That's right. And the way that you get shot more often is by having more encounters with police. Does that mean that there are no racist cops making bad shoots. Absolutely not. There absolutely are. Yeah. There are tons of racist cops. I believe that. Not, not by any means the majority, but there, if you go across the country, there are way more than I would want. I'll put sure, it to you like sure. that. You know well, I mean? and I think we also have to consider um, another side of this because if as a, as a national conversation, if we hold that, that the problem with police is racism, right? right we're ignoring that white people face this, even if it's to a lesser degree, yeah. we are ignoring the fact that white people face the same problems. So you've got a portion of the population who are not necessarily on board with the racist stuff for right. whatever reason. They might not be outright racist. They might, might just think it's overblown and blah, blah, blah. We're past that. Yeah. They get to just write off the problems with police immediately because they go, oh, I'm white. I don't have to worry about it. It's just black. You people. have completely tied this thing to race. Right. Yeah. And, no, that's, and it's a problem. That's, that's one of the problems I actually have uh, when we look at what all happened with like Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. Because it's oh boy, like, here we go. Well, well, here's the thing, man. Okay, so Black Lives Matter. Are there things happening unfairly and disproportionately to black people? Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Um, somebody comes back and they say all lives. Okay. Now, by keeping the focus solely on the police abuses that are happening to black people, in my opinion, we are glossing over all those other things right. that also contribute to how black people are being unfairly treated. Because right. what it comes down to is, yes, there is a component of this that treats black people unfairly. But the problem is that the police 
are fucking over American citizens. It's, you know, you said, you said this shit can happen to white people too. It can happen to Asians too. They are fucking over American citizens. Right. So when you dismiss all lives matter out of hand and don't get me wrong, there are plenty, <laughs> there are of, plenty of white people who are going, who are like, oh, all lives matter. All you, lives matter. You black people ain't being treated poorly. Yeah, just because they don't want to talk about it or, yeah. you know, saying all lives matter and don't even know like, you know, what all lives matter means. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All lives matter is acknowledging that there's a huge police problem. Yeah. So if you're saying hey, it's not a problem, all lives matter. That don't go together, son. You well, know, I, I think it goes back to our race issue, too. And, and we're kind of sidetracked a little bit at this point, but it goes back to the race issue. And that, I, you know, I think that that the human family does matter. And I yeah. look at my black neighbor yeah. the same way I look at my white neighbor. You know, right. I, I want you to come eat with me. I want to, you know, so yes, it, and, and that's also why I support Black Lives Matter because yeah. I do see, um, you know, I, I support the message. I do see black people being treated uh, unfairly. And to right. say Black Lives Matter is to directly say that they don't matter to some people. And that's true. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, right. so to counter that with all lives matter, it's a little, uh, you know, it's, uh, no, it's no, I'm going to tell you needed. what, I'm going to tell you what, there was a meme that went around. All right. And this meme, it was, it was talking about firemen putting out a fire on a house. Right. Yeah. And they said to say all lives matter to somebody saying black lives matter is like a house burning down and the firefighters putting water on it. And somebody being like, well, what about this house too? That's right. not on fire. Right? right. Right. I don't buy into that because that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, yeah, I, I say, yes, let's put that fire out. Black Lives Matter. Absolutely. And your shit is on fire. We need to address it. Right. Why did your house catch on fire? Is it happening over here in this house, too? Right. That's if where, the wiring's faulty. Right. And, and that's why the house got so on fire. We and, need and to the check the wiring faulty all along the block. Exactly, man. If the you know, same contract. Boy, that metaphor runs on forever. The same contractor put in all the houses. <laughs> you know. But but no, the point is, man, is I, I, I don't have a problem with the message that black people uh, are 31 percent of people who, who are getting shot by police or black people when they only make up 14 percent of the population. That's a problem. Yeah. I'm just saying, let's not just say. If we get rid of all the racist pricks, we've still got militarization. We've, that's right. We've still we've got a still got no yeah. knock warrants and civil forfeiture and all these other that's things, right. man. That's right. And if so. we attack those problems, then, you know, it affects all areas, it affects black people, too. You know, so black well, lives will get better. White lives, all all lives will get better. Right. The question becomes, if that's not necessarily, well, in my opinion, I'm not going to hang that on you, but if that's not necessarily the way to go about it, what do we do? Right. So what can we do to try to improve overall this policing in America situation? And I think uh, the first thing which come up 27 times today is that there is no organized national database on police statistics. Man, That's there, right. We need, we need state and local agencies to begin reporting to a central collating agency. And hey, don't get me wrong, I'm... My libertarian streak, that scares the hell out of me when data starts going up to big government. But we, we can't we're, we're grasping around in the dark. And it's pretty it's pretty harmless data. It's not like yeah. it's not like it's stuff that can be used against uh, police officers or something. I don't think unless I'm ignoring some you know nefarious possibility. But yeah, there, there may be one out there. And hey, if you think of it, feel free to email us yeah. at sense and theory podcast <laughs> at gmail dot com. Let us know how, how dumb we are for, for <laughs> overlooking your, your brilliant, uh, brilliant thoughts. But. Um, yeah, further than that, I think we have to, we have to come to a national agreement that yes, racism exists. There are racist police officers. 
Um, and we've got to do better at keeping them out of the force. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's still question about that. And, yeah. and to me, that's absurd. Like, yeah, the evidence is is overwhelming, even with bad data. Yeah, the evidence is overwhelming. We are hiring racist police in some places. Uh, some police departments are, have a culture of racism. Right. And and we're not. If you ask me, we're not doing enough to address. That no, we're not. We're not. We're not. How to address it. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, fire I, them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get rid of them. I, I, well, why wouldn't there be? Right. I mean, there's, you know, at the same time, while I might quibble with, with, uh, you know, going back a couple episodes with, uh, the Tariq Nasheed review of how many racists and white supremacists there are out there. Of course they exist. You know, I know that those people are out there. I see them post things on the internet and everything else. So of course, some of these cops are racist. We need to identify them. We need to get rid of them. Acting like they don't exist is the silliest shit yeah. in, in the whole wide world. I'd like to see some sort of uh, some sort of database. If you got fired as a police officer from here, yeah, I'd like some sort of background check. So when you go apply over here in Oklahoma, yeah, you got fired from Kentucky. Um, I'd like to make sure Oklahoma knows yeah. that you got fired from Kentucky and why. Well, and that and that should help uh, not just with racism but with corruption because that is a problem with corruption. People. You know, getting fired for whatever down in Florida and Georgia and shit, and then just going out to California yep. and getting a job and you go know? go go pick up a job over here. That should never happen. Well, it and should, why, you should be depending on the crime, you should be barred from police work forever. Right. And I think I, part of the reason that's even able to happen is because of that whole thin blue line and and that warrior culture again that we built amongst them, soldiers, comrades in arms, your brothers in battle and shit, and they don't want to rat on each other. Right. And look, look, Mr. Policeman, like it's, it's ultimately like we can do a lot of shit. We can pass a lot of laws, but most of this shit is going to be on you guys to help us change. So you're going to have to get past that, man. Yeah. All somebody Stop snitching is a, that's, that's a mantra of, of the people you're fighting. Right. Right. That's a mantra of the criminals. Stop snitching should not ever come out of your mouth as an officer. All a racist or corrupt cop is doing is endangering your life. And making your job harder. Man. And deepening uh, the divide between officer yeah, and yeah. citizen for years to come. Absolutely. It's got to go. It's, it's got to right. go. The thin blue line has got to go. Now, saying that on one hand, on the other hand, like we said, got to do a way better job of helping these guys deal with the adrenaline rushes and the PTSD and the awful shit that they're experiencing. I think, you know, at the risk of further militarizing the police, you know, by adopting a military practice. But, hey, I think a good one. I think maybe we should look into like almost like tours of duties uh, for cops. Okay. Like, like maybe, maybe we give cops two months off. Absolutely. Every so often or six Recharge months Recharge their adrenaline Yeah, let them decompress. Let them, let them stop seeing dead babies regulate and shit for a week. You know? Maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe we treat them like nurses even. You yeah. know, nurses will go on long shifts and then have days off or even well, firefighters. I think, I think that's roughly what they do now, but I think... Uh, I, I believe that that's how cops kind of work now. They work like three long days and then they're off for four. But no, man, I'm talking about like a good three or four months, kind of like a, a teacher's summer break, summer okay. vacation yeah. where they just get to get the hell away from it. Now they're still, you know, I was kind of thinking about some of the practicalities. They'd still be in town if like a major, if a terrorist attack or some major event, a huge fire, chemical explosion sure. that happens, you can call them in, but otherwise they are off for three months. Sure. You know, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I think we also we have a responsibility as citizens to be a little bit more empathetic. I think especially on the left, um, we like to point fingers and and call out, you know, where cops are wrong. But again, have a really hard job. They face they face things every day that are the worst of the worst that society has to offer. 
you know, when we're talking about PTSD and, and decompression, um, I think we also need a healthy dose of empathy when we're approaching this situation right. to make sure we're not we're not villainize, villainizing them. Because I I would wager to say that most of the cops out there are good cops. Yeah. I don't think that that the worst examples of police officers represent yeah. the large amount of, of police. You know, I, I mean, don't, we don't, we don't do that with any, well, we intend not to do that with anything else in life. That's right. You know? That's right. So. I think we need to, we need to look at police um, the same way. I think we're facing this, this, this tide of, of fuck the police, you know, that's yeah. been growing since the eighties. Um, and, and, and a lot of that is directly because of the, the national narrative. Yeah. You know, we don't see when was the last time you saw a news story about something good a cop did. And that's right. hard. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because they're again, they're you see them here with, and there. But what's the overwhelming majority of the. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. They're, they're, they're slipping through the cracks. You know, yeah. we're not we're not talking about the good work that police do. And that's just by nature of the job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. it's, it's a dirty job. You're yeah. not going to talk about all, you know, all the aspects. And it's, right. it's not easy to spin a story of, uh, you know, taking a, a junkie to jail <laughs> into, yeah. into a good thing. It's just right, like right. society sucks. Junkies are bad. We, yeah. we got them, you know, go me. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it fair and balanced like we always do. If you're asking the left for empathy, I'm going to look at the right and stop kissing their ass. Just stop kissing their ass, man. Please. They are completely capable of making mistakes just like anybody else. And I get it that they're risking their life. I, I, we do. We just said that. Yeah. At the same time, like, if we don't hold them accountable, then, then I mean, what are we going to do? Oh, if and, you're on the right right now and, and you can listen to this show and hear about corruption and, and militarization and no-knock raids and, and wholeheartedly gloss over that and say, oh, they're just old boys doing their job, yeah. then you're part of the problem. Well, I think we had a pretty good episode today, buddy. What do you think? Uh, I feel fairly good about it, other than the whole all lives matter thing. You're obviously a colorblind racist. Yeah, well, we we established that a couple episodes ago. But uh, I have uh, I have trepidation for this entire episode because oh, yeah? we had so many sources. We had three, three and a half pages of sources. And uh, anytime you try to crunch that much data down into an episode, it's... Uh, not looking good. Well, I'm glad I'm the sense and you're the theory. Yeah. Because well, that's squarely in your department. <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I do like to uh, take the facts and figures and theoretical approach. But uh, that said, I think Beans is going to absolutely slam us on the facts and figures today. We'll yes. see. Going to bite us in the ass. All right, Beans, take it away. All right, buddies. Put your outlines down and step away from the mic, please. Officer Beans is on the scene with my newly arrived grenade launcher and ready to execute your inaccuracies with extreme prejudice. Now I gotta tell you boys, you have the right to remain silent. And since, after your clam bucket reference, listeners and I'd be happy to see you exercise your right. I know we got a contract and all, but you're seriously gonna do this cop shit? You want another disorderly conduct perp? Stow it. Uh. Now... As an officer who's sworn to uphold the truth, Theory, I want you to know that it really fries my donuts when you try to correct sense and butcher a quote that he got right in the first place. The quote is, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. So Theory, I've got you not only impersonating an officer of the truth, but also calling yourself a history buff and fumbling a Ben Franklin quote in the first degree. You also said there was 20,000 no-knock raids in the country each year. 
Did you know you were reckless number dropping without signaling? Because I didn't hear a Beanzo should check this, and you were a good 30,000 raids short of the actual figure, buddy. 7448 Buffalo. Yeah. It gets lonely out here on these streets. It's me and my fact checking standing between the good listeners and two chronic offenders like these guys. You take out all the fan mail I'm getting and that sweet contract I signed, and it's a thankless job, really. But I'll keep going to work week after week to keep these podcasts safe from scum like this. Because fact policing is in my blood. Criminal scum, back to you. All right, so now we've got Judge Beanzo and Officer Beans. Uh, what kind of one-horse town are we dealing with on this podcast? I mean, is he the mayor, too? He's got a budget and a contract, but his budget is very, very small. Uh, yeah, he's got to work his night jobs. That's what it is. <laughs> My goodness. Well... Guys, before we left this week, uh, we wanted bad to reiterate cash, that you can you uh, get a hold of us at a slew of places. You can contact us on Facebook, cash, cash. on Twitter. What the links uh, to all this are going to be in the show notes. You can We've got our own subreddit now, r slash Sense and Theory Podcast. There are large conversations going on every day there. Well, we're working on you. However, we've already gotten fan mail from you at Sense and Theory Podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to see that stuff, and we want more of it. That's right. In fact, the only way a podcast like this can survive on uh, literally zero budget is with the support of our listeners. So I'm not asking you to give us money uh, yet, but if you've been listening to the show and you've enjoyed it, uh, I think the least you could do is uh, give us a shout out on an iTunes review. Uh, come to our website, leave a review. Uh, go to the, the, the subreddit and, and speak your mind about iTunes the reviews especially. I mean, really and truly, podcasts live and die by their iTunes reviews. You know who would leave an iTunes review? Who's that? Taylor Swift. Shit. Bad cast, bad cast. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? This is world-class producer and fact-checker extraordinaire Beanzo of the Sense and Theory Podcast. I want to thank you all for suffering through each show to hear the righteous takedowns I drop on the fellas. Please go like and review us on iTunes. It'll mean a lot to the guys, but more importantly, it'll help keep your old buddy Beanzo on the air. There's links to all our social media in the description, and feel free to tell the fellas how wrong they were at Sense and Theory Podcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week to hear Sense and Theory get all up in they feels when I burn all their hard work down again. Beanzo out.